Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Friends, the scripture reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 10, verses 27 through 48. And before we read that part of the scripture, I just want to give you some of the context. There's a guy named Peter, who is the same Peter that traveled with Jesus, was one of his closest associates. And he had a certain view of who was in and who was out in the world of faith, in the world of connecting to God. Now, across the region, there was this man named Cornelius, who we learn is a centurion in the Italian cohort of the Roman army. Okay, so this is a well-trained warrior, probably had influence, uh, had education, had access, had connections, had discipline, and he had some sort of an interest. Maybe he'd say he was spiritual but not religious. So he's not part of the insider group of the Jewish people that became the Christians. He was this outsider group of the Romans. And God does this surprising thing in two ways. On one hand, God goes to Cornelius and says, I've seen the way you live your life. I've seen the way that you operate with integrity. Even when you have power, you use it on behalf of others. I've heard your prayers, and so here's what I want you to do. Go to this particular town and send for a man named Peter. Okay, that's, that's Cornelius' side. Then the movie kind of shifts over to Peter, who has this really odd and interesting vision you can read about in Acts chapter 10, the early verses, where essentially God blows Peter's categories and expands who's in and who's out. And the moral that God teaches Peter is, don't call unclean the things that I say are clean. Okay? Don't put the people on the outside that I say are actually on the inside. And, and so Peter's having this moment while Cornelius' cohort comes and knocks on the door and says, we're looking for Peter. Okay? And so his cohort comes and they say, Peter, we need you to come with us. And all we know is that God told us to ask for you. That's all we know. And Peter's going, all I know is God just gave me this very interesting experience showing me that odd and wild and wonderful things that can blow your mind will happen in the kingdom of God. So Peter goes back to Cornelius' household, and this is where the story picks up. Verse 27. So as Peter talked with them, he went and he found that many had assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, Four days ago at this very hour, at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. Therefore I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. So now, all of us are here, in the presence of God, to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, 
But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, which is another way of saying they crucified him on the cross. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. In other words, they're saying, look, the resurrection seemed as implausible or impossible to us as it does to you. That's why he had to come and spend a lot of time with us, a lot of meals with us, a lot of beverages with us for us to finally get it that he was crucified and had risen from the dead. Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers, which is a way of describing the Jewish Christians, who had come with Peter, were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, which was the outsiders. For they had heard them speaking in tongues and extolling, praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment of silent reflection. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we come to this moment of silence, still the chatter in our minds continues to go, driving us forward into the future with ambitions and hopes and desires and goals and strategies and plans, or driving, to, driving for us to run from the past with regrets or concerns. But the one place you invite us to be right now is right here. And so help us to meet you in this place. We come from a variety of backgrounds and life experiences. Some of us coming from a place of affluence or maybe boredom or entertainment. And we've lulled ourselves asleep in this world. Others of us come from a season of confusion or hopelessness or depression or anger. Wondering where you are. We come to this moment believing and trusting in what you're doing in our lives. We come to this moment skeptical, wondering if we can even believe these things. Most of us a mixture. But however we find ourselves right now, 
Help us to see that you know us. And your response to the complexities of all our lives is to move toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love in the person and work of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open us up to that powerful love and that you would send us out to be your very agents of renewal wherever we go. We pray these things for our good and for your glory. Amen. You know, this is a foundational and influential story for me and for the life of this church. And part of it is, um, you know, this, this guy Cornelius who would say, come back to my house and tell me more about the God that you know. Part of that is the story of how Renewed Church started. You know, Florence and I are from San Diego and then moved to San Francisco in 2004. We thought we'd be there for three years. We stayed for 13. We fell in love with the city, ended up becoming ordained and getting a master's degree and starting a congregation there in the Mission District some of you were a part of. And through that time, our San Diego friends would come and visit us. And they'd come to church on Sunday just to be polite. You know, I'll come and see what you do for your day job, you know. And then we'd go for brunch afterwards. And Florence and I kept hearing our friends say, Look, I, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I don't go to church. I don't even know if I'm a Christian. But I loved what I experienced here. If this was in San Diego, I'd be a part of it. Another group of friends comes several months later, says something very similar. You know, I can't even believe I'm in a church right now, but it's refreshing to see a church that not only talks about the renewal of God and then puts their money where their mouth is and actually gets busy doing it. And so I finally said to Florence, I don't know of any pastors that have non-Christian, non-church-going friends asking for a church so they connect with God and with their community. Let's go start that church in San Diego. And now you're a part of it, and so am I. It's happening. And it's every bit as surprising today as it was back then. I mean, we had ourselves a week this week, Renew Church. I mean, joy, pain, all of it. And we always say it's, it's, you know, it's our pleasure to move toward the joy of the city, and it's our duty to move toward the pain of the city. So we had joy on Thursday night as we listened to Las Estrellas de Chulavista, the mariachi band, at Balboa Park together. There was joy. And we entered into pain when I received a phone call on Monday night from our ministry partners in Tijuana, where one of the shelters that we support for single mothers running for their lives, so they're already vulnerable and in danger. Well, this shelter had been stormed by the local drug cartel operatives the night before. And thankfully, nobody was hurt, but everybody was terrified. And one of the ways that Renew Church partners with any other ministry organization is that we always, especially if it's international, even if it's close international, is we always want to partner with people who live in the country, understand the culture better than we do, so it doesn't become this patronizing situation where it's like the American church is just sending money and giving advice. What we, what we call it is we want solidarity, not just charity. And so, first of all, they knew that they could call us because we understand their situation. I said, what do you need? And my, my friend Samuel Perez, the, who leads that ministry in Tijuana, starts giving me the wind-up and the pitch for a fundraising ask. And I said, Sam, you're my brother. I've been fundraising for 20 years. Just tell me a number. Like, what do you need? And he said, well, we, if we had $3,000 right now, we could move these women and children securely and give them a place to be. And so I, this church committed $3,000 on the spot. 
And he often, he goes, does your church have a lot of money? I'm like, no, it's a startup. Like, we're raising money all the time. He goes, well, then why are you doing it? I said, because if we can't do this, then why are we a church? I mean, this is why we exist. We get to be first responders. And then I went down the next day. I said, I'll wake up and come see you first thing. And so we, we went out. We looked at some properties together. I have some crazy stories about that. I actually saw a building where there used to be a tunnel that went under the border that has now been discovered and filled in and all that. But you're standing in this place. You're like, I thought, like, I saw an episode of Narcos that had, like, something like this in it. Anyway, because of that, the transition for these women is approved and fluid because what happens otherwise, this is really terrible actually. Samuel told me, he said, here's what happens next. Those guys that came in in the middle of the night with the walkie-talkies and the guns, they're just scouts. The next thing that happens is a bus shows up and they all get on the bus and you never see them again. He goes, 30 million people in human trafficking in the world, where do you think they come from? So we had to shut down that shelter to move them to a secure place. But because this church is nimble and able to move, we could enter into the pain and bring a resolution so these women could sleep safely, so these children could be cared for. Now, the story is still unfolding, but I want you just to see these are examples of the ways that we celebrate the joy and we move toward the pain. One of the other things I notice in this church is that I love when you kind of get to know each other at coffee and donuts afterward, and you know, any given Sunday I'll meet someone who's like, I can't even believe I'm part of a church right now. You know, like, I, I can't believe I'm even considering that these things are actually true. I'm thinking about becoming a Christian. And I can't, like, my friends make fun of me. My parents don't believe it. You know, those stories are taking place regularly, both in this sanctuary and online, in droves. And here's the point. We, meet, we met Cornelius today. We met the Ethiopian eunuch last week. We met Saul, who would later become Paul, you know, the week before that. And what all three of these people would say is, why am I a Christian? Because God moved in my life first. A Christian comes to a point where you don't say, the reason I'm a Christian is because I've figured out God. It's a humbling expression to say, I'm a Christian because God has never stopped pursuing me. And that's our first point. Renewal of God comes through God's initiative. In verse 29, Peter arrives at Cornelius' house and says, may I ask why you sent for me? And what's the answer? Cornelius says, well, I was praying, I was meditating, and God's angel spoke to me and said, send for this man Peter. In other words, the answer to Peter's question, why did you send for me, is, I sent for you, Peter, because God first sent for me. Cornelius would have never sent for Peter on his own. Cornelius seems to be pretty happy with his station in life. I mean, yes, he prayed, he probably meditated, he gave generously, so he's doing some good things, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't look like he's particularly searching or seeking or striving after God. He was happy with himself, and it was God who intervenes. God who breaks through. Now look, the principle is not... If you want to have a miraculous experience with God, you need to see a vision, right? Because that's not what happened with the Ethiopian eunuch. You can go back and listen to that podcast. But the point is, in all of what we would call conversions, where you're transformed more and more to know the God that loves you, in almost all conversions of all times and places, there might not be a spectacular moment like Cornelius had. 
But there's always a moment where the person being transformed can say, God is the one who initiated this. God is the one who was searching for me. A man named Francis Thompson in, the, in 1890 wrote a poem called The Hound of Heaven. It's about 180 lines of poetry where he's simply describing, no matter where I went, when I sought, when I sought solace and entertainment, when I was in Vegas, when I was wherever I was, God was pursuing me there. When I sought achievement in my career and I climbed the ladder, God was pursuing me there. When I was running, God was running after me. A Christian can say, God has always been pursuing me. We have one friend in San Diego who comes in and out of Renew, so you'll see this person around every now and then. Um, I remember having a conversation with this friend 15 years ago. He said, I made a conscious decision to run away from God. I was mad. I said, I get it. I totally get it. I was mad. I ran away from God. And you know, he said, you know what happened, Matt? Everywhere I went, God was there. Everywhere I went. Now, I need to pause for a second because someone's saying, hold on, that's, that's what I actually hate about Christianity. That terrifies me. This idea that God would be wherever I would go. Can't God just leave me alone? And I would make the case, it all depends on your image of who God is, of God's character. Because if God is merely an overbearing boss filling out your quarterly reports and showing you all the ways you've failed so he can fire you, or a tyrant who's waiting for you to step out of line so he can crush you, or a dysfunctional parent who's not supporting you, not coming around, but always chastising you, then of course it would be terrible news that God is everywhere you go. Run. But that's not the image of God we get through Scripture, and that's not the report of all the Christians who've gone before us throughout the ages. It's a God who pursues you with more love than you give yourself. A God who says, on one hand, you are more broken than you even want to admit, and at the same time, you are more loved than you could ever imagine. I know you, and I love you. As the scriptures say, God is 100% light, and in God there is no darkness at all. You know what that means? It means God is not 99% good, but there's this 1% shadow side that sometimes comes out. 100% light, and in God there's no darkness at all. It means to be with God in your success or in your failures is the safest place to be. Therefore, it's good news that God's always pursuing you. And it means that if you're investigating Christianity for the first time or you're kind of returning to church, it kind of means you can relax. It means that God's already at work. If you're even listening to this scripture right now, which if you're hearing my voice, you are, I mean, it's an evidence to me that God is already at work in your life. You wouldn't be here unless something is waking up inside of you. The question is, what is God stirring in you right now? And how will you respond? God's initiative always goes first. And God's renewal is always a challenge to what we might call traditional religion. I love it when friends say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I'm like, so is Jesus. So is Jesus. And by, let me define this. I mean, on one hand, there's healthy religion. I just need you to know this. Religion at its core is not a bad thing. Religion at its core comes from two Latin words smashed together, re, to do again, like redo, and ligio, to join together, like ligament. Ligaments join together bones. So religion at its core is rejoining yourself with God and with your community. That's good. We've added on a whole layer to religion 
of what you need to do in order for that to happen. Right? So whether it's, you know, at first it starts out with keep the Ten Commandments. Throughout, throughout um, you know, the Old Testament history, they actually added on until they had 612 rules and regulations because ten wasn't enough. Uh, you know, there's all old sayings, you know, don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls that do. Uh, other places, you know, make sure that you don't dance. i got funny jokes about that, but I'll spare you. Whatever it might be, it's external things that we add on. And that's, I call that Jesus plus. You know, yes, yes, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is strong enough to make you one with God, and still you need to go and do this or not do that. That's religion. That will crush you. It will crush you in one of two ways. Because either you're the type of person that can actually pull it together for a period, or maybe you can't really pull it together because you know the truth, but you are in a position where you can posture like you've got it together. And so you look down on other people. And so it, it eats you alive that way, through your pride. Or you can't keep it all together, and so it pushes you down because you feel like a failure. Either way, it'll erode your whole soul. That's religion. But that's not Jesus. Because what we see here, in verse 30, Cornelius says, Four days ago I was praying in my house, an angel came and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers, remembered you, seen the gifts that you've given to the poor. In other words, Cornelius, you're living well. You have power and you don't abuse it. You have money and you use it on behalf of others. You even every now and then get down on your knees and ask for help. You're living right. But don't let it go to your head. You're a man of virtue. Therefore, what does God say? Because you're so good, just keep on going and doing what you're doing and that's how you'll make it to heaven. That's not what he says. It's stunning. He says, you're a good person. You're moral. Therefore, you need to be rescued. <laughs> you need me. You need to be converted. In other words, the gospel is not God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who ask for help. God helps those who know they need help. Which means in order to receive the grace of God in your life, all you need is need. All you need is nothing. But that's hard for us. We have so much. I mean, whether it's material stuff or whatever the case might be. Or we simply swim in a culture that is allergic to admitting that you have any sorts of needs. All you need is need. And yet that's good news. Maybe right now you feel like you're coming to a moment where in one category or maybe more than one category, you're feeling like you're coming to the end of yourself. And I'm not saying that God has put you in that position. But I will say that God's an opportunist. And God will use this season of your life to show you that your weakness can actually be met in God's strength and loving presence. But it's a challenge to religion. It means there's no one in here that's so good that you don't need Jesus. And no one in here that's so bad that Jesus wouldn't come rescue you. And then that puts us all on the same level. A Christian, therefore, is both humble and confident at the same time. Those two things don't normally go together. A Christian can say on one hand, 
It took nothing less than the death of the Son of God to make me right with God, and so I have no stones to throw at anybody else. And Jesus was glad to give his life on my behalf. The truest verdict in the whole world is already cast on my life, and it is, beloved, I will never leave you or forsake you. So a Christian is both confident at the same time. Confident and humble. Moving on, renewal happens through the Holy Spirit. In verses 44 through 46, you see these two marks of the Holy Spirit. Want to unpack them really quickly? Two marks of the Holy Spirit. One, it says they were speaking in tongues. We'll get to that, so hold on. And two, they were extolling or praising God. Now, mind you, these are people that didn't grow up in the Jewish temple, that didn't necessarily have access to the Jewish Old Testament scriptures, the Torah, waiting for the Messiah. So it's not like these people kind of had an idea of what would happen if God came into their lives, and so they were kind of just doing these things. This seems to be spontaneous. Verse 44 through 46. So first... How do they know they were transformed by God? How do they know they met the real God? How do they know this was the real thing and not counterfeit? Number one, they redirected their worship. Now, worship comes from an old English word that means worthship. It's to recognize the worth or the weight or the value of something and then attribute to it what it deserves. That's worship. That's what we're doing in worship. And here's the thing, everybody worships. It's not like just the religious people worship and everyone else gets a pass. Everyone worships. It's like the spiritual oxygen that we breathe. Whatever you look to for ultimate meaning or security or joy in your life, you might not use these words, but it's the thing you worship. If you say to yourself, if I have approval, then I'll be loved. If I have security, then I'll be safe. If I have power or money or status, then I'll know that I am someone. Friends, welcome to the world of worship. And here's the thing. These aren't necessarily intrinsically bad things. It's not a bad thing to have wealth. It's not a bad thing to have connections. It's not a bad thing to look good. But if you make that even that good thing your everything, it will ultimately fail you. They've redirected their worship. What do you, I wonder, what would your friends, if you asked your closest friend or the closest person to you, what would you say is most important to me in my life? What do you think they'd say? Now here's the intriguing thing. When you redirect your worship onto the God who created you, all of these other important details actually find their true place in your life. Second thing they notice, they start speaking in tongues. How did they know they were filled with the Holy Spirit? Start speaking in tongues. Later, one chapter later, chapter 11, Peter will reflect on this moment and will recapitulate what happened with Cornelius. And reflecting on it, Peter will say, the Holy Spirit came to them as the Holy Spirit came upon us in the beginning. What's Peter talking about? He's going back to Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit first came. What language was the first sermon preached in? All of them. God had said, when my power comes from on high, will fill you, not just around you, above you, below you, but be within you. And what will happen is you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, everywhere. 
because I'm the God of all people. Friends, this is the bedrock root of the end of racial superiority. The end of the, the, the bedrock root of racism, of a tribalism that says we're inside and they're outside. Wherever you draw the line, if it's wealthy against poor, if it's one ethnicity against another, if it's based on sexuality or marriage status or whatever the case might be, it's the shocking inclusion of the gospel. And it rocks Peter's world. And you see how shocked Peter is when he gets to their house. I mean, it's like, it's not even borderline rude. It's rude. He gets to the house. He, here's the doorway. And he goes, there's like all, remember I said 612 rules and regulations? Clean shall not mix with unclean. A, a Jew shall not go into the house of a Gentile. Then there's like 47 more of them of you can't touch their food. You can't touch their fork or their knife or whatever. And he gets to the door. He's had this invitation. And he stops because he has muscle memory that says you just can't do it. And his first words are, you all know that I've been taught since I was grown up that I can't come into this house. But Jesus has sent me here, so here I am. It says, while, the whole, while he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came upon them all. Actually, that's interesting. God interrupted his sermon. I, I love that. I've been preaching for 20 years. I've never had an inter, a sermon interrupted by God. Feel free anytime. What was he speaking about? And this is what it all comes down to. As we say at Renew Church often, don't try this without the gospel. So how do we know that the initiative comes from God? How do we know that it's all based on God's grace and not on our performance? How do we know that we can redirect our worship from good things to the ultimate thing of a relationship with God and not come up empty-handed? He says, how do we know? I spent time with Jesus Christ. I lived with him, I worked with him, I walked with him, I heard him, I saw the miracles, I saw the healings. He was the real deal. And even with my wavering heart, Peter says, the way that God proved it was that when he was crucified on the cross, three days later he rose again. And he spent time with us even in his resurrected, glorified state. In other words, he goes on to say, Jesus lived the perfect life that you will never live. And Jesus died to take on the pain and the brokenness and the sin of this entire world in general and of you in particular. And three days later in his resurrection, he showed that the final word on this world is not your failure, is not the pain and brokenness and sin of this world, but it's new creation. And so the invitation for Cornelius, for his family, for you and for me, is to enter in to that great story. That's what will transform your life. That's what will transform this city. And we are just scratching the surface together. So what's it look like to be a person of the resurrection today? What will it look like when you go to work tomorrow? What does it look like in your home or in your family? What does it look like in the way that you interact with other people in social media? How do you go out as a person of this story with grace that radiates and explodes like dynamite out into the world? That's our invitation today. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do pray that like Cornelius, 
we would be surprised. Like Peter, we would be surprised. There was surprise all around because the gospel of your grace is more expansive than we ever imagined. And so that's what we ask now. That your Holy Spirit, the power of your presence, would transform our lives. Help us to sense where you are calling us into deeper connection with you and give us the courage to go along. Give us the sense of where you are inviting us to reach out and grant us the perseverance and the drive to follow you. But in all of it, may it be an experience of your grace in our lives, we pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon.